Now we look at women who have been on hormonal contraceptives and we see shriveled ovaries, right? They're not getting blood flow. They're not getting all of that action. Then we pair that with most hormonal birth controls that are oral contraceptives, right? So that are influencing your digestive tract cause nutrient depletion. You're not getting adequate nutrients from your food. And these nutrients are primarily the ones that are really important for fertility, your B vitamins, vitamin C, which is an antioxidant, zinc, antioxidants, selenium, et cetera. So we have these two components that are directly influencing the ability of these eggs to get nutrients, to get that blood flow. So that's like the main area um, where it can impact egg quality. You're listening to the Well Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. You're listening to episode 207 of the Well Woman Podcast. Thank you for being here and listening to me and these beautiful conversations we have weekly on the show about everything you need to know about your menstrual cycle. Today's episode is all about egg quality, fertility, and preconception care with Stephanie Adler. Now, Stephanie's actually been a guest on the show before, and this is her 2.0 appearance. If you want to tune back and listen to her first episode, she joined us for episode 97, which was all about the birth control gateway, the copper IUD. So that episode was all about that stage of the fertile cycle. And now we're actually talking about fertility, conception, and egg quality. Now, Stephanie's joining us because she's a certified nutrition consult, women's health and fertility expert, birth doula, and wellness coach. Her practice focuses on supporting those with cyclical bodies in balancing their hormones, healing their guts, and all things baby making. She's immensely passionate about giving women the knowledge and tools they need to thrive in the modern world. When she isn't supporting clients, you can find Stephanie on the pottery wheel, making moon mugs, hiking, or reading a historical fiction novel. So whilst we're going through this episode, you can go check her over on Instagram at Stephanie Adler Wellness. And in this episode, we are, like I said, chatting about egg quality, but we're talking about what is egg quality and why is it important to know? We talk about how we can discover what our egg quality is. Does our egg quality diminish in age? And if so, how can we slow that process down so that we can continue being fully fertile in our late 30s and even into our early 40s? And should we be concerned about our egg quality? Why should we be concerned about it? And of course, how we can support egg quality. We have amazing tips in this episode. We talk about egg testing. We talk about the negative impact birth control can have on our preconception journey and how to really be prepared for preconception if you have the beautiful spaciousness to do that and what you can do in that preconception journey. So I love this episode and I'm sure you're going to love it too. Let's jump in. Stephanie, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We just had so much fun in our first episode. For those who don't know where that is, um, if you listen to the intro, I'll tell you when it is. Um, But I I knew I had to have you back and I'm excited that you're back and where you are in your life cycle at the moment, not just your own cycle, um, is really beautiful for us to talk about conceiving and fertility and egg quality. So thank you for being here. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. I'm just really excited for the 2.0 of this. 
2.0. I love it. Um, so let's get started. Tell us what day of your cycle are you on and how are you checking in today? Yeah. So I just checked on what day of my cycle I'm on because, and it's a cycle day 175. And that is not because I have PCOS or anything, but because I am almost five months pregnant. Um, and it's so interesting, like as someone who practices cycle syncing is such a big part of my life for so many years and who's so in tune with the seasons of our cycles. It's been such a wild experience of not having that cyclical way of living. Um, and so I guess how I'm checking in today is good. I'm feeling baby kick a lot and yeah, just like embracing all that is creating a human. Mm-hmm. And what a journey of creating a human that it is, right? Oh, so it kind of is perfect alignment for why we're talking about the topics we're talking about today, but I'm sure there's going to be some listeners who haven't heard your first episode. So tell us, who are you? How did you become, you know, a women's health and fertility expert um, to help us talk about egg quality and fertility and conceiving today? So how did you get here? Tell us. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. Uh, so my story actually goes back to when I was a kid and I was just always sick, like had stomach issues out the wazoo, um, was in and out of doctor's offices. And it's interesting. I actually talked to my mom about this somewhat recently. And she told me that my gastro who I had seen for a few years when I was young and had so many stomach issues had told my mom that I was like making it up and that I must be doing it for attention. And that she had real sick kids to deal with, but like, I was wasting her time because they had done every test on me and could not figure out what I had except for IBS. And so at the age of like 12 or 13, I decided to take matters into my own hands and was able to heal 13 years of stomach distress and symptoms and feeling sick by changing my diet. And so from a really young age, I became super aware of how food can be medicine or food can be a catalyst for dis-ease in the body. And then fast forward a decade later, and I have an undergraduate degree in something that I like technically never use, although I guess conflict resolution is a part of day-to-day -day life. So I use it all the time. And I decided to go back to school to deepen my own knowledge of nutrition and understanding. And during that going back, I fell in love with the magic that is the female body and just became so in awe of our body's ability and resilient, like a re how resilient we are and how our ability to adapt and heal when given the right ingredients. And so decided to learn everything I could about the female cycle, partly selfishly, so I could get off of hormonal birth control and not have crazy acne because that was what was happening to me, but also because I knew I really wanted to be a mom one day. And, you know, I'd had family members who had struggled with infertility and I just wanted to deeply understand this process. And now six years later, you know, it has just been the most beautiful journey. I've helped over 40 women get pregnant, many of whom had been told by their doctors, you know, that it would have been impossible to do, especially outside of the medical model of care without IVF or IUI and hundreds of other women heal their cycles. And it's just uh, the most, I, I couldn't ask for a better job. It's so rewarding, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like helping, just helping women come back into their power 
in and of itself is just so powerful. And then also being able to take it one step further and help them actualize their dreams of, you know, their path to parenthood. It's, I mean, what's better than creating more life in this world. And I actually also went and got a birth doula training at one point, because I was just like, I'm interested in helping people get the babies in. What about getting them out? And like, it's just such a fun cycle to be able to see like a baby take its first breath and think about that of just like how, yeah, it's, it's really special. It's very profound magic is what I like to think of it. Um, yeah, I, I hear you on all of that. And I think it's so beautiful that now you're on that personal journey. So you've helped so many uh, like others achieve it. And then here you are, you know, almost halfway, like beyond halfway through your pregnancy. So very, very special. And, um, and thank you for sharing your journey with me. I feel like a lot of people can resonate with the, like, oh, the doctor said there's nothing wrong with me and I'm not important as other people they got to deal with. Yeah. Like how many women have just been completely gaslit and just like, everything's normal. And, you know, these symptoms you're having are from anxiety or whatever it is. And I think when we just really trust women and teach them to trust themselves, Mm. healing really happens. It does. You you said it so well. Um, It kind of makes me feel like, think about like even endometriosis, like the the sliding scales it can take up to 10 years for someone to be diagnosed with endometriosis and I don't like the word diagnosis but you know there's a long time to not receive the support that you're really craving and the answers that you deserve so yeah changing the world I love it good on you okay so egg quality let's talk about all of these because we have so much to talk about egg quality fertility conceiving so egg quality I feel that we have a lot of conversations around sperm quality and like, you got to get your sperm tested. And we're more so focused on for women. It's around having a healthy cycle and having a healthy menstruation and having a healthy ovulation. But what about the egg quality within having a healthy ovulation? Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, egg quality is one of the least understood infertility or components of fertility. Um, and also, especially in the medical model. And I mean, I could give you examples that would make you want to pull your hair out. Like, you know, one of my clients said to me, or one of my clients' husbands actually said to me on one of the calls that I did with both of them together to just make sure everyone was on the same page, uh, that their fertility doctor had told them they could buy a private Island with the amount of money that they had spent on IVF thus far. And, no one had ever been like, looked at her diet and looked at her lifestyle and been like, maybe we should make some changes here after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, after taking a few months off of IVF and supporting egg quality, which was primarily what we did together because everything else in her cycle was actually perfect. And I don't mean just like everything looks normal, but was actually perfect. She went back to IVF and had like, you know, several grade A embryos where she'd almost never had any that properly fertilized. So like when I really, what I really want to emphasize here is like, it is one, the least talked about and understood, but also sometimes the most impactful, especially Mm -hmm. for women who have unexplained infertility, especially for women who have recurrent pregnancy loss and something that we really should be considering when we think about getting pregnant in later years. And as we know is common, you know, in our society now people and, you know, couples and women are waiting longer and longer to have kids. And there's this stigma around 
having, you know, a, a pregnancy later in your thirties or in your early forties because of actually usually quality issues. And so if we really start to address it and address it early on, we can make such a big difference because it's not something that has to remain stagnant and it is something that can be improved. Oh, isn't that nice to know? <laughs> so you mentioned about, yeah, so much missed opportunity around like that story you shared about, you know, buying your own, like you buy your own island, you know, if you're all this money you could have invested in an island is it's just missed opportunity because it's not educated on. So let's talk about it and let's break that stigma. Um, you mentioned about being an older, an older birth mother and the modern medical world would say that once you hit 35, you are currently and newly appointed as a geriatric mother. So how does egg quality change? Because I am considered as a geriatric mother now. And if I was to birth in the medical system of the modern Western world, I would be considered high risk, you know, at 36. Um, and yeah, I could potentially have very low egg quality. So why is knowing your egg quality important? How can you find out what the egg quality is? And then how can you change it? So let's start with the first thing, like why is it important specifically for egg quality? Like how is it different in your twenties or, or when you're, let's say when you're 30 to when you're 40, how does it differ? Yeah. So you're born with all of the eggs. Well, actually all of the follicles that will become eggs that you'll ever have. And that's actually a really neat thing to think about that. If you were, I'm actually having a baby boy, so it's not the case for me right now, but if my baby was a female, then I actually would have my grandchildren inside me in some way, because I would have their eggs inside me, right? So you are born with all of these follicles, which will become the eggs that you eventually ovulate that could eventually become your future offspring. Just like everything in our body, we age, right? It's not that different than like, why does someone who is 40 have less skin elasticity, right? Is more likely to have, you know, frown lines or smile lines than someone who is 20 right? It's truly comes down to oxidative stress. And just like in this world of biohacking and everything that we are learning about how you can reverse aging in different ways, there are like huge conferences going on about this, you know, all the time now, the same kind of can apply to our eggs. So it's really actually important because just like with anything in our body, you know, you can have someone who is 40, who looks amazing, who looks 30, and you can have someone who's 25 who looks 38, right? Because they smoked and they drank and they didn't take care of themselves. And they were, you know, in the sun all the time without like some sort of protection. I don't necessarily recommend using sunscreen, but you know what I mean? And right. Like we have oxidative stress. And so the real reason why it differs as we get older, is just because one, you have less and less of those eggs over time, right? So you, then you have less of a pool to draw from, but also they age. Mm -hmm. That's great to know. And I think we live in a world, I'm just thinking about the world of trying to suppress aging. You know, we really, like this is going, I'm going on a tangent. We really prime the Magus time of life. And the Magus time of life is George Clooney. It's Brad Pitt. Like, oh, you silver fox, you, you look so sexy. But then when a woman has silver hair, like, oh, actually she's so old. Like we need to change that. And I feel that there's a big difference between, and this is very gender stereotyping, but between aging for women and aging for men. And I think there's a lot of pressure put on women as they age around 
fertility health and around like, oh, you've got to hurry up and have children. And I remember Steph, when I was 29, the doctor had said to me like, oh, have you considered, I was with a long-term partner at the time. Have you considered having kids? Cause if you're not, you should probably look at freezing your eggs. And I was just like, really 29? Like I'm really healthy. Like this is ridiculous. Anyway, fast forward um, to 36 and I feel that we can reverse those signs or slow the aging process down by looking after our health in a really radical way. So how can we preserve our egg health? So I'm 36. Let's use me as an example. You know, how can I go, okay, well, I was 29 and that, you know, actually wasn't the right relationship to have a child in anyway. Um, how can I take my 29 year old healthy self and continue that until I'm 36? Like, how can I be 29 now in my body, but be an earth age of 36? Yeah, absolutely. And I know it can sound super frustrating when a doctor says something like that. I will say as someone who gives fertility advice, if anyone here is listening to this and is like 25 years old and knows that like, I am on a career path where I have zero interest in having children until I am 36 or more, you know, 35, 36 or more like late thirties, it actually isn't a terrible time to freeze eggs. Um, only because again, like it is just such a big difference between like early twenties and, you know, later thirties, but that doesn't mean that you can't improve and support your egg quality. And I always encourage people to do all of these things anyways, because IVF is not fun. Like hopefully you will never have to use those eggs and like, you can just have them as backup, but like, yeah, freezing your eggs, if you were in your early twenties and have the ability to do so is not a terrible idea. If you don't know, you want if you know it's going to be a long time before you want children, like a decade or so, but I will say like, there's so much that you can do. I mean, and that's beyond like, yes, taking care of yourself, generally speaking. Absolutely. But there are certain, um, antioxidants that we've identified that really, really make a big difference when it comes to oxidative stress in the body and then reversing and supporting egg quality. So one of my favorite of those, especially actually, and all of the data on this is for women over 35, it significantly supports egg quality. And every client of mine who is over 35 is on CoQ10. CoQ10, really powerful supplement. You can, the interesting thing about it is though, a lot of people know about this for fertility, but they come to me and they're like, yeah, I'm already taking CoQ10, but I'm on like 200 milligrams. And all of the studies that show improvement with egg quality are 600 milligrams a day and up. So it's really important to make sure you're taking the right amount. Uh, my other favorite antioxidant for egg quality is resveratrol and resveratrol kind of became a little bit popular in just like the aging world in general. Um, and also a little bit during the pandemic, just because, you know, it was oftentimes paired with quercetin and therefore it was like, you know, supposed to be supportive for that. Um, but I love, love, love resveratrol. And I actually, even though I am in my late twenties took resveratrol for the year leading up to my conception, I thought it was really important for my egg quality and something that I highly prioritized. And then from a food perspective, we really want to think about deeply pigmented foods. Everything as it comes to oxidative stress is what is really challenging for eggs. Oxidative stress is what causes us to quote unquote age, right? It is just oxidative stress on the body. And over time, the body becomes less able to deal with that stress. Now, what is an antioxidant? It is the like anecdote, so to say for oxidative stress. So antioxidant rich foods, that's like your deeply pigmented foods. So if you cut an apple open, right, it's like this gorgeous red 
outfit on the outside, but what color is it on the inside? Beige. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like boring white, right? Nothing. Same with a banana, beautiful yellow, nothing on the inside. You really want to prioritize eating foods that are deeply pigmented all the way through because that color equals antioxidants, specifically the deep purples, the deep blues Berries. are going to be most exactly berries, beets, things like that, that are just like soup, pomegranates, things that are like super rich in that, like deep red, deep purple are the most antioxidant rich when it comes to basically biohacking, reversing aging, um, which works for our eggs. Um, and then that is like the, what we do to add things in to support it. There's also the element of really reducing mm. what causes oxidative stress, right? So there's actually, um, been some really interesting research specifically for people who have, you know, whether it's low grade autoimmune, maybe like undiagnosed Hashimoto's or like full-blown autoimmune endometriosis, anything that is causing the immune system to have a reaction. We see that for these people doing somewhat of like a modified AIP diet can be really, really supportive for egg quality. We really just want to reduce inflammation in the body because if you are in a state of fight or flight, right? What are you not in a state of feed and frolic? Frolic being reproduction. Like think about like fairies frolicking in a field, all just like getting each other pregnant. Frolicking in the bed sheets. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And so if your body is like not going to prioritize reproduction, if it's, if it's in a state of stress and so really reducing inflammation in the body wherever we can. And so that's like really, you know, reducing things that cause oxidative stress, like seed oils, refined sugars, too many refined carbs, things like that. Um, lifestyle practices, obviously like smoking causes a lot of it, oxidative stress and stress, just general Hey, I work a really stressful job or whatever it is causes a lot of oxidative stress. So introducing lifestyle habits that really support the Zen life also goes a long way to supporting that quality. Mm, and I think so many people in our world focus on what we can add in instead of what we can remove because, you know, the, the marketing world of the health industry is huge. Like I just got to add this, you got to take this product. In. But yeah, focusing and allowing us to remove things is really important. You mentioned the AIP diet. There's going to be people here who are like, what is that? So can you just give us a quick run through of like, what is the AIP diet and how does that help yeah. reduce ox- oxidative stress? Totally. And this, I will just say is not necessarily for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. And I would never, like if someone came to me and was just like, Hey, Stephanie, I'm, you know, 30 years old. And I want to support my egg quality for the next five years before I get pregnant. I would not immediately say, Hey, go on the autoimmune paleo diet, which is what the AIP diet stands for. That is more specifically, like if I am working with someone who's had recurrent pregnancy loss or has a history of any sort of condition that makes me feel like their body would benefit from that. We've seen insane benefits and turnaround with egg quality in women who've either been in IVF, have not had for successful cycles. And like one of the questions you had asked me before was how do I know if my egg quality, like, how do I test that? Unfortunately, we can't, like there is actually no way outside of doing an IVF cycle where we're taking an egg and then we're analyzing it, right? Like how well does it fertilize? Does it make it to day three? Is it normal if we test it like for genetic abnormalities? So we don't know, right? So I'm only really recommending that extreme of a diet to someone who's come to me that I have 
proof that, you know, like whether it's because they've been infertility treatments or because they've had many chemical, you know, chemical pregnancies or early miscarriages, or, you know, have had to terminate a or chose to terminate a pregnancy because of chromosomal abnormalities, things like that. Um, but the autoimmune paleo diet is a very restrictive, but very healing diet for people who have autoimmune conditions. Mm, yeah. Brain. And oxidative stress. Exactly. And, and just a note, like you can have high levels of oxidative stress in your body without having an autoimmune disease. And that, you know, is still going to be someone who I recommend really support the antioxidants, eat a very nutrient dense diet. Maybe look at your gut and see if there's a leaky gut, which is causing more oxidative stress in the body. And then, you know, reducing inflammatory foods that just might not be as extreme as a AIP protocol. Mm, so potent and powerful because I feel that yeah, people can feel very hopeless in those circumstances, especially if they've been through that IVF journey multiple times and could buy an island now. Um, <laughs> I wanted to also just say when you were talking about the egg quality and how we can test that and how it's impossible to test it unless you have that IVF extraction is that it's, I'm just laughing to myself that like, it's so easy to test sperm and sperm health. And just that's because it's obviously a very different setup, but when we're looking at egg quality, for me, it kind of highlights for menstrual women who would like to be a future birthing mother that why would you not want to work on this just every day? Not just like, oh, I'm planning on conceiving in two months time. We should just start now. Like what, like healthy egg quality, healthy cycle is a, an enriched life. Like why wouldn't we want to work on that more? Um, so I love that you shared that. And I'm just giving myself a little pat on the back that I've been using resveratrol and CoQ10 for like, nearly 10 years now. So I feel like oh, yeah. my own 29 year old self is like really proud of me now. Um, I, so, I want to just quickly add, yeah, you brought please do about sperm quality. And it's some of the most interesting research that I personally think that I've come across. So actually it's interesting. Like we think about sperm when we test sperm, it's you test for three things. You test for motility you test for count and you test for more uh, morphology. Now the first two, like how fast they swim and how many of them you have, have nothing to do with quality for the most part. And then you have morphology, which is like their shape, which does have something to do with quality. And you can actually also then do a further test where you like DNA fragment it, but it's a little bit like not a perfect model, but it's super interesting because there's one specific study that has been done on caffeine intake and what it shows. And this is why I think it is just as important, like, because I have had so many clients who've had their husband's sperm tested and everything looks good, but it really is the sperm quality. That's a problem. Um, because 50% of miscarriages that are due to quality issues come from actually the sperm and you would be surprised by what can impact that. And so they did a study on caffeine and it showed that having three caffeinated beverages or more a day caused over a 70%. I think for women, it was 72 and for men, it was 74% increased chance of miscarriage. Wow. So insane to me, like how it, that's just like something that's not talked about and how many people are starting off their day with, you know, 16 ounces, which is two cups of coffee and then have one in the afternoon. Right. And I mean, it like, it's 
75% almost is a huge increased risk. And it really comes from the sperm and the egg when it comes to quality in that way. So um, I just wanted to share that because I think it's like one of the most interesting things because the researchers were shocked that it the sperm was that impacted because it's like not, yeah, anyway, it's really interesting. <laughs> it's, thank you for sharing. It's very interesting, especially because we live in such a coffee culture. Like I'm not a coffee drinker. I've actually just never liked the taste of it, but we do live in such a coffee culture. Like my partner B, like we'll go camping and like he will hunt out the closest coffee shop so that he can go and get a coffee. And it's the ritual. He'll only have one a day and it might not even be every day, but there is a big ritual um, around drinking coffee for a lot of people. And that is often how they start their day. We won't go on a rant about how it's really important to not start your day on coffee and to, you know, have other nourishing things first, but wow, that's really eye-opening and so it just is a it's a great demonstration I think too that you know it takes two to tango and you need to work as a team in the preconception phase so when it comes to eggs though and egg quality is it only for people like focusing on egg quality is it only for people who are trying to conceive or plan on conceiving in the future like what if you're 35 and you're done you've had all the kids that you possibly want to have is focusing on egg quality something that's important for that cyclical woman and menstruator? Not really. (laughs) And like, I feel like it's one of the few things in the wellness space where I would catch myself being like, you actually don't need to think about that anymore. And of course, these habits that I just shared with you are so good for you in other ways, Mm. but Really, it actually doesn't have any correlation with like whether or not you're going to continue to cycle and how long, you know, we know so many benefits come from ovulatory cycles. And so if there was a correlation with like, you are going to ovulate for longer, go into menopause later, if you have better egg quality, I would be like, absolutely. But we don't have any data that says that at this time. Mm, And It's also interesting because you might be 25 and be like, I'm never having kids. Like, I don't want to have kids. It's not in my radar. And then you get to 35 and all of a sudden your whole life is just different because 10 years passed. And then you meet someone who's like, holy moly, I want to birth that person's baby. Like, it's also good to be, I feel proactive because you just don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Especially because you've seen so many clients, I'm sure, in a very similar situation. Totally. I mean, I think that it's just really unrealistic for us to expect our younger selves to know what our a decade from now selves is really going to want and giving, I'm all about giving women options, right? I want you to have a choice in doing whatever it is that you deeply desire. And I think just like you might never think that you want to be a homeowner, right? Because you like, love to nomad and whatever, like you have no idea what a future version of you is going to want. And so like, why wouldn't you put money aside to like build an egg where you could eventually have freedom to do with that, whatever you want, whether it's to buy a house or to buy yourself a plane so you can travel easier or whatever it is. Island. (laughs) Island, exactly. But you know, I really think it's, it's just about giving yourself choice and options. So for anyone who is in their younger part of their lives, right. Who is still, whether or not you feel like it, figuring out exactly who you are and where you're going and what you would want to do. It is something I would be considering and try to be mindful of. And also want to remind people, you know, when I look back at myself, when I was like 23 and 24, I was making decisions that were definitely not supportive of my egg quality. Let me just say that. And, you know, I feel very fortunate that with 
you know, a certain amount of time that, you know, a couple years for me, but it doesn't have to be that long for everyone else focusing on this really intentionally. I was able to conceive on, you know, our first cycle using without using protection. Like that is possible for anyone, no matter what you have done in the past. And that is just really what I want to reiterate here is there's this notion within the medical community of people who are at least thinking about egg quality at this point that like, once it's going downhill, it's going downhill. And I mean, I had a client who had her first son through IVF and then came because she wasn't able to get pregnant before. And then after having her first son, she was able to get pregnant naturally twice. So excited, but both times lost the baby pretty early on and went back to her IVF doctor. And he was like, it's a quality issue. You know, we knew this from when you did your first IVF cycle, very few of the eggs came back, very few of the embryos came back normal. You won't be able to conceive and carry it a full term without doing IVF where we can pick the ones that are normal. Mm. And after doing my protocol for three, so eggs have a 90 day cycle. This is an important thing to note. So any sort of quality work that you're doing requires that minimum of 90 days. And then we'll only get exponentially better after that. She did my program for three and a half months, got pregnant, you know, and like, of course was feeling a little bit cautious. The doctor said this, I had already had two miscarriages within the last six or seven months. She's due this week with like a beautiful, healthy baby boy. So it can change. It can get better. And that is just like the main point I want to reiterate. Like it doesn't have to be stagnant or just downhill. Mm, Beautiful point to make because it just demonstrates, it's a great demonstration through story that you can change your state of being even as so minute as like egg quality, which I think is really great. And I'd love to ask the question I think of, and I got actually asked this question by someone in cyclical school about two weeks ago about egg quality after coming off hormonal birth control, whether that's the, you know, the IED or the pill, but mostly the pill. Um, It's like, let's just say someone decides they want to go on the contraceptive pill and they're like 25 and then they're staying on the contraceptive pill until like they get 34 and like, oh my God, okay, I really want to have kids now. And then they just want to have kids straight away. Their question was like, well, does that mean that we take that number of years and we add it to the end and then we'll have menopause after that? That was their question. So you don't have Mm. to answer that question. The question I've got for you is around that of, well, what's the egg quality like when you haven't been cyclical? Like you haven't been in living your natural cycle where the follicles don't have the need to mature and then release the ovum. Like what is the cycle of egg quality after hormonal birth control? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked this question. Uh, lots of thoughts around this. And so couple things I'll say. The first one is that they've done ultrasounds on women who are on hormonal birth control and their ovaries are almost, um, they look like that of a woman who has gone through menopause. Oftentimes they kind of, I can't think of pregnancy brain has my words slipping from me. Like what's the word when something like contracted shriveled, no, like, yeah, shriveled. Thank you. (laughs) Is this a game where you play? Yeah. Um, so they, they've shriveled and a lot of that, you know, the way that I like to describe this, um, is a male reproductive organ it's outside. We can see it, right. It's very obvious men don't walk around despite what, you know, (laughs) some of us might believe, or like based on when we're like in high school, men don't walk around with erections all day, right. They're not walking around with like blood flowing 
to that organ intensely all the time. Like that's just not what's happening. And same for our reproductive organs, right? They're not, they're just internal. So we don't recognize that. We don't think about that, but our ovaries are not getting an insane amount of blood. And how do nutrients travel to these parts of the body through blood flow. So when a woman is ovulating, we actually think about this as like the high, like the fast track highway, because that part of the body is getting more signals. It's getting more blood flow. There's more happening. You're more likely to be able to send nutrients to the ovaries and to the eggs during your ovulation phase. Now we look at women who have been on hormonal contraceptives and we see shriveled ovaries, right? They're not getting blood flow. They're not getting all of that action. Then we pair that with most hormonal birth controls that are oral contraceptives, right? So that are influencing your digestive tract, cause nutrient depletion. You're not getting adequate nutrients from your food. And these nutrients are primarily the ones that are really important for fertility, your B vitamins, vitamin C, which is an antioxidant, zinc, antioxidant, selenium, et cetera. So we have these two components that are directly influencing the ability of these eggs to get nutrients, to get that blood flow. So that's like the main area, um, where it can impact egg quality. Um, and then for other women too, you know, we know the correlation between leaky gut or gut dysbiosis issues and certain oral contraceptives, um, which can cause, you know, more inflammation, oxidative stress, et cetera. And then the last thing I will say, because I actually recently did a podcast about this and this research just blows my mind and we don't hundred percent actually understand the cause. So I can't say that it is because of a quality issue, but they recently did a study and I actually can't fully remember the numbers on it. So I can send the studies to you afterwards and we can, um, fact check me, but it, the numbers were high, but of women who conceived having, you know, who conceived their children within three to six months of being on hormonal birth control, those children had significantly higher chances of getting childhood cancers like leukemia than women who wow. were not conceived when there was still the remnants of hormonal birth control. And like I said, they don't fully understand why there's no, you know, we're putting it back to this, but part wow. of me can't, you know, take away the possibility that it is connected to quality. That's huge. Yeah. And so that's like roughly three or so months after stopping birth, like some form of hormonal birth control. Within that time period. Right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, certain wow. studies were looking at it up to three months. And then there was a couple other that had looked at up to six months. The, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just like, I'm a bit speechless. Well, it doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> like nothing surprises me in that area, but it's just, it just goes to show that if you are planning on having a healthy conception, a healthy pregnancy, a healthy birth and a healthy baby, that when you align your body in the most natural cyclical way, but we, we have the best opportunity of having a healthy baby because we are having a healthy, you know, process for all of those stages, instead of just being like, I'm just going to be on the hormone of birth control until I read it, want to have a baby and then I'll come off and then I'll just have a baby straight away. Yeah. And I feel like prep is so important. And I love that you said the egg cycle for 90 days, because most people have no idea about that. And I always think of like three to four months is a great time frame because that's how long it takes for our body to naturally transfuse our own blood. You know, it takes that long for different parts of our body to replenish and renew and heal with 
amazing antioxidants for reducing our oxidative damage. Um, but nothing happens overnight, but we live in this world that just really enforces the patriarchal, like, let's just get it done right away. And we don't have to wait and we can do things when we want, um, which is so fascinating. So how do you feel about all of that? Like, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think that I call it the pre-master, um, it, you know, the like the trimester before you conceive is the most important trimester in her premester in the process. I love because, it. It's a great word. Because so much of what that baby is using. So the first trimester is when primarily most of development is happening. And then after that, they're just like getting plumper and a little bit cuter, you know, I mean, there's obviously more than that, but really like all of the organs, all of the anatomy is really starting to take shape and to develop in that first trimester. And most women don't even know they're pregnant until it's almost halfway over. Right. And so there's so much that is required of your body required on your nutrient reserves required from just like the quality of that egg and that sperm meeting that go into that. And so going into that process with intention is so important. I mean, since I've learned this research, I have made a pretty clear, like anyone who's working with me who has not been on you know, who has been on hormonal birth control in the last three to six months, I highly recommend they're using backup contraception, you know, if they're not fully certain when they're fertile, because it just seems like too, risky. too much to risk. Yeah. And like, again, there's just so much we don't know. And we can do so much to support the body and like coming, you know, being on any birth control puts you in a depleted state one way or the other. and there's so much that can be painful in pregnancy, but there's also so much that can be so beautiful. So like, why not set us up for the best possible chance at having that be such a empowering, beautiful experience. And if that means waiting another couple of months, I think it's worth it. Mm, and I, I just like to speak to, cause I agree, having a solid foundation is like building a house. Like you wouldn't build a house on it sloppy foundation, you know? Um, And I just want to speak to those who have unplanned pregnancies. Like that's, I'll put my hand up. That's been me a couple of years ago, having an unplanned pregnancy. Um, My bestie birthed her baby on an unplanned pregnancy. Um, Bundle of joy he is. But for those who maybe haven't just come off hormonal contraception, um, it's speaking to everybody in that situation, but also the ones who aren't on hormonal contraception and have an unplanned pregnancy out of nowhere, so to speak. Um, Clearly you had sex. That's not out of nowhere, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But what can someone do or a couple do? Cause I think it's a teamwork. What can a couple do particularly for the woman's body, the, the growth body in supporting that first trimester? If you've only found out that you're pregnant on like the third or the fourth week. um, And then you're like, Oh my God, this wasn't planned for what can I do right now to like reinstill? For me, I think anyone who is, especially from 30 plus, I always think just use a multivitamin, like a prenatal multivitamin every day. Like it's better than using a regular multivitamin. You get the extra stuff in it. Like that's a great way, especially if you're planning on having kids and you're sexually active, it's a great way to like be prepared for an unplanned pregnancy. But what would you suggest for those um, expecting parents and mothers in that very first stage of the first trimester when they've just found out they're pregnant, but it's unplanned in supporting their body, what could they do? 
Yeah. And just to re, you know, piggyback off of that, there are beautiful, healthy babies born every single day, you know, who, whose parents had no idea they were pregnant until they were like four or six months pregnant. I do not understand how those women do not know. Like there's no so way. I, I don't get it, but there are so many, like I, I met someone the other day who like didn't know she was pregnant until she was six months pregnant. And I was like, what? I don't understand how my boobs, my nausea, my, all the things, like there was no way I would have been like, crazy. This is normal. <laughs> yeah, but crazy. you know, just people who don't have regular cycles anyways, anyways. So, but the point being there are beautiful, healthy babies born every day, you know, whose parents are not as intentional as maybe they would have been had they been planning on conceiving. And so it is absolutely possible to have that. If you find out that you are pregnant and you hadn't been planning it and you were excited to bring this life into the world and want to do everything that you can to support it once you find out, the biggest thing that I think you can do in your first trimester, aside from taking the right supplements to support you, which I do echo your opinion around prenatals. What I will say is sometimes women are taking really bad quality prenatals mm. and that is like worse than taking that. one um, yep. and or t- then t- not taking one at all sometimes. So like, please don't take the gummies. <laughs> please don't just like take the bad quality prenatals. Um, but is actually eating adequate protein. And this can be really challenging for women in their first trimester who are having food aversions or who are just like, all I want is the carbs, give me the carbs. And this is where I will go back to, if you are going into this process with intention, you know, I was actually shocked by how nauseous I was in my first trimester, but because I have developed these eating habits over years of, you know, eating a very whole food style paleo ish diet, it was still easy for for me to get protein. Um, but protein is the number one thing that is going to support you and having a healthy pregnancy and being less likely to be at risk for complications, which could interfere with the way that you want to experience your prenatal care or birth your baby. And it is the building block for all cells. So it will really help your baby's development. So if you find out Mm. you're pregnant, I don't care when, but if you're like six weeks pregnant, get in your protein as much as possible. Um, and when you can, I suggest eating really nutrient dense foods. Bone broth is an amazing food, especially if you are nauseous and you can like kind of get some broth down because that collagen is so wonderful for babies. If you can stomach liver, that is like an awesome food. If not liver pills are always an option. Um, but really focusing on the protein more than anything else. Mm, I love that. That's a great tip, especially, you know, if you are passionate about your cycle and connected with your cycle, focusing on just getting protein in the morning, as soon as you, as you wake up, that's a great starting place that can transition as a, as a habit down the track for pregnancy. Um, So I love that. And I always think that if we know how to support our cycles in full, then when it comes to being really aware and checking in and present through pregnancy, it comes from the habits that you had with your cycle, um, which just, it's a beautiful art. It just continues to play out. So, oh my God, this has been so juicy. I've loved, I always love chatting with you. So thank you for being here. Final podcast question I have for you, because we're getting ready to wrap up nearly out of time. What are your top five tips for someone who, you know, can see potential conception coming in the next year that they can do on a daily basis to support egg quality? Yeah. 
Um, oh, this is going to be hard. I actually just recorded on my podcast, like a preconception checklist and it had 10 things on it. And so now I'm like, okay, how am I going to take the 10 and narrow it down to the five? <laughs> we can do 10. If you want, we can, we no, can, that's do, okay. that's we can okay. do a quick 10, but five. If, if, you got if five. anyone wants the other five, they can go listen to my podcast, but, um, yes. I'll okay, put a link so for like, that in the show notes. Yeah. Obviously the first one just has to be to, you know, reiterate on our conversation before or get off of hormonal birth control. If that is like something that you've been waiting on, maybe you're nervous about getting pregnant, understandable, but like, that is one thing that you really, I really want to recommend you do in getting ready for a conception journey in the next year or two, whatever it is, not just from the quality perspective, but being able to see it. Does my cycle have any fixes that need done, you know, things like that. The second thing I would suggest, am I going to narrow this down, um, is to really start to approach your diet and lifestyle, your way that you walk through the world with a little bit more discernment around like a 90, 10, 85, 15, whatever your you know, habits typically look like, uh, as we're getting ready for conception, I think the more we lean into that 80, 20 versus like a 50, 50 lifestyle is going to make a really big difference. Um, mm-hmm. and something that can really just focus you to feel good dirt for your pregnancy. Uh, the second thing I would suggest is depending on your situation, right. Would be starting to supplement smart, right? And so maybe that's looking at a really high quality prenatal, maybe that's getting some resveratrol, some NAC, which we didn't talk about before, but I really love for egg quality as well. If you're over the age of 35, definitely starting to take CoQ10. Um, And then any other supplements that might be supportive for your specific cycle needs, right? For some people, you know, that might be using Vitex to make sure that you're like ovulating well and that you have enough progesterone, whatever it is that you might be. We didn't, you know, talk about this, but progesterone is like one of the most progesterone deficiency is one of the most common causes I see of early pregnancy loss. And so Mm. really making sure that you have adequate progesterone going into that journey. Um, that was three, right? Okay. So four, three, (laughs) you're like, this was supposed to be a wrap up question. Now it's taking forever for her to answer. Um, Four is start connecting with spirit baby. And this is what we didn't actually touch on Read um, the book spirit babies. It's a great book. Yeah. It's a really beautiful resource. And, um, I personally have seen anecdotally in my practice and know with myself that it is a huge part of conscious conception and conceiving in a beautiful way. And so start talking to your spirit baby and, you know, just like bringing them into your world and sharing with them, like how excited you are to meet them and when you want to meet them and just open up that line of communication. And then the fifth and final for today thing that I would suggest that you do in preparation for conceiving and this is like actually not even on my preconception checklist, but I am just feeling really passionate about it these days is actually start thinking about the kind of birth that you desire. Because so often um, I'm also a birth doula. So, you know, having 
talked with a lot of women about their birth experiences, et cetera. So often once you're pregnant, there's like this biological hormonal thing that goes on where you're just like, well, I need to figure this out right now. And I'm just going to go with whatever my friend did and, da, 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 and you kind of just like get put on the conveyor belt instead of actually really taking time to get intuitive with what do I need? What do I desire? What is right for me and for my baby? Um, and so starting to learn about your options, starting to learn about what's appealing to you, starting to ask questions before you conceive, especially if you know that's in the near future, I think is so critical. Mm, I agree. I think it's really powerful when you're able to have the the fr- flexibility and the freedom to be able to think about those things without the pressure. Yeah. yeah. Without the like, Oh my God, I, this is unplanned. And well, I don't even know any of the options. I think um, it is really great. And especially if you are in, you know, a, a stage in your life where you would love to become a mother, exploring that is a great way of also preparing your body. Like you prepare your mind and your heart and your spirit for it. Like you said, spirit babies, that helps welcome in the spirit baby. Um, Yeah, beautiful. These are great tips. And if you want all 10 of them, you can head over to to Stephanie Adler's podcast. Check it all out. So what is your podcast name? So I can pop the link in the show notes for you. We'll send it over to you, but it's Wisdom of the Womb. Mm-hmm. So needed. This has been really juicy. Thank you. Um, I normally ask at the end of every podcast episode, you know, where can people meet you? And then I have a final three questions. So where can people meet you and find out about you? Yeah. So the best place to hang out with me is on Instagram, Stephanie Adler wellness. We can put it in my bio mm-hmm. um, with an F and yeah, find one out F. more about one F. Yeah. One F. One F. One no F. <laughs> God, my name's like that too. It's with a J and only one M, (laughs) Um, which is hilarious. But all the links will be in the show notes. And I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Final question I have for you is we always ask, like, think back to your younger menstruating self. What are three things you wish you had have known before you began menstruating that you now know today? So I'm going to switch it up because you already answered that in episode, what was the episode number? Episode 97, right? So that was your previous episode. So today I'm going to ask you, what are three things that you wish you had have known about pregnancy before you became pregnant? Oh my God. (laughs) It's a good question, right? (laughs) It's such a good question. Um, (laughs) One of these is like just really personal to me, but I'm going to share it because um, like, so I work with, I'm a fertility coach. I work with a lot of women who get pregnant and so many of the women that I work with have such easy pregnancies. And I was so convinced that I was going to have such an easy pregnancy because I was like, they have easy pregnancies because they follow what I say and I do what I say. So therefore (laughs) I'm going to have such an easy pregnancy. And it was so humbling when I had a really, really challenging first trimester. So what I actually want to say is that it actually, like when it comes to nausea has so much more to do with genetics and like, if your mom was nauseous, you're more likely to be nauseous as well. So don't Mm. compare yourself to your friends. Don't compare yourself, whatever. Don't be like to your fertility coach. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Don't be like me and be like, Oh, I'm going to feel amazing. I hope you do, but it was really humbling and really challenging. So I wish I had known that. I also wish that I knew, um, that it can feel isolating sometimes. And that was something that really surprised me. And I'm like, fortunate right now to be at a different stage where I actually feel way more connected to other women who have been on this journey or were on this journey recently or are on it now. But in the beginning, uh, there were a lot of moments that it was super, super isolating. And I wish I had known that and set myself up for more opportunities to be able to express that to the people close to me. 
Um, and then the third thing I would say about it is I wish I had, see, the thing is I knew it was going to be like super spiritual and all the things. So that's not a wish I had known, but if you didn't know that you should take that. But also I wish that I had known to find clothes that I feel sexy in before, like to, to not wait so long to get maternity clothes, because it is like so hard when your body is changing and you're just like at the stage where you're like, no one actually can tell that I'm pregnant. I just look really bloated and it's like, nothing fits me. And it was just like really hard on the psyche when you can't, you know, dress in a way that makes you feel empowered. So I wish I had known to get some maternity clothes sooner. <laughs> oh, that's a great tip. I love that. So I hope everyone listening has just learned so much from you because I know I always love chatting with you and I always take going great little tip bits and nuggets, golden nuggets. Um, so thank you for sharing your very personal little journey with us about pregnancy. Appreciate it. Um, Stephanie, this has been a pleasure. You're welcome. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here and turning up and being a part of the program and the podcast again. Um I can't wait to have you back again for a third time round, 0.30. Yeah, we should totally do it around pregnancy, birth, all the things when it's time and space. It'll be so fun. Mm, after birth. <laughs> It'll just be I like love- iterations. I love our first podcast was like the back, like the gateway birth control. And now it's like when you want to get pregnant, egg quality. And then it'll be like when you have your baby. <laughs> that, that's Let's- Let's definitely have that conversation. Okay. I'm excited. But thank you again. I'm sending you so much love. Have a great day, everyone who's tuning in and listening to this. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning into every episode of the Well Woman podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. If this episode excited you, please hit follow on Spotify, which means all of my episodes will pop up in your feed weekly so you never miss a weekly drop. I'd love you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. Love this episode? Come and follow me over on Instagram at wellsom underscore Gemily. Say hi and share what you've taken away from this episode with me. Now, is there a bestie, sister, or a friend who you know who might be fed up, frustrated, and confused with their cycles? Are they ready to join you in awakening their cyclical essence too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your socials, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to them. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our cycles. Now, until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.